Warning, the following podcast contains naughty words and opinions. While neither of these has been shown to be hazardous, you should be aware that exposure to both has been known to cause chafing. Apply only to available ear-shaped head holes. Cease insertion if resistance is met. Consider this ye warning. There be spoilers ahead. Welcome to Cinema Swap, the weekly podcast that seeks the answer to the important questions like how many guys do you need to complete the whole set? If one is to believe plants have spirits, where does that leave veganism? Our content is prepared and served to you by myself, John, a man only reasonably sure that he hasn't resolved the mind-body problem and concluded that the answer is neither. And Jason, a man certain that the 960 Pentium 3 machines used to render this film could be replaced by a cheese grater and get the job done faster. And this season, we've asked our listeners to share their favorite video game movies, and they have responded with the pan of bits and bytes, ranging from the traditional 8 to a ludicrous 256 bits. And we've inspected these bits from cartridge to ROM, from floppy to flash, from online to off. And you know what? The memory chip just died on us, so we have to complete this game in a single run. We'll render this content using artificial actors, but since this is an audio medium, you won't notice any improvement. And then we'll add our own secret blend of comedy, commentary, and mumbo-jumbo. And since video game movies are some of the best-produced pieces of film ever made, we won't need to add too much flavor. But since the Uncanny Valley is real, we need to watch this movie drunken with one eye closed. I believe the table is set. That leaves one last order of business. Jason, are you ready? Yep, let's uh, serve up this cinema slop. You're listening to another fine episode of Greasy, Slammy, Porky Cinema Slop. We have Jason, John, and your guest host, Mac. And this week we're talking about Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Where are you going? Come back. Come back. Don't leave. I, I promise it'll be entertaining. Good joke. <laughs> hey, Mac, what do we need to know about the Final Fantasy epic series of video games to be ready for the Final Fantasy Spirits Within? All right, guys. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but here we go. Cue the fanfare! It's time to talk about another beloved series of video games. I'm sure if you haven't played it, you have at least heard of it. It's not the first, it's not the second, or even the star. It's Final Fantasy. That's right. Now, guys, I have to ask this. Is the slop familiar with this game? Final Fantasy VII is the reason I sold my PlayStation 1. Oh, wow. Really? (laughs) So you could get it on PlayStation 2? No, no, dude. Those fucking memory cards, I bought a generic, and I got to disc three of Final Fantasy VII, and my generic-ass memory card erased itself, so I played through to disc three again, and it happened again. So I picked up my entire gaming system, walked at the 16 blocks, I don't know, to the video game exchange, fucking sold everything the whole fucking kit that was your cheap fault because you should have got the sandisk sony brand memory cards and you would have been fine have you met my dad he was not springing (laughs) for that name brand i'm surprised he didn't try and make them himself oh my goodness dude (laughs) never get the cheap memory card especially back then so you don't like final fantasy because your dad bought cheap memory cards that's a good reason did i say i didn't like it i said it was the reason i sold my shit if I didn't like it, I would have played through to the third disc twice. Twice. Exactly. Anyway, we'll come back to that later because I got more questions. John, or I'm sorry, I already talked to John. You're Jason. Jason. Mac lacks object permanence. It's fine. I do. Look at it, the, <laughs> the way I like to view this is John loved this game so much that out of fit of frustration, he had to divorce it before physical violence started. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's a positive route. You always want to stay. <laughs> you want to keep things in the up and up. Jason, 
Have you heard of this series? Yes. Uh, now, and I got a follow up question. Uh, John, I think I already know the answer. Which one is your favorite game? Uh, the Secret of Mana. That's not a Final Fantasy game. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. We'll accept it. Judges? Uh, Chrono Trigger. No. <laughs> um, no, I was always the kid. Like, I was really partial to like the early on Final Fantasy games for some reason. So, like, two, three. Oh, yeah. Some of those games. Those are solid titles, man. Those are solid titles. So I just, I had it again. So, you guys are familiar with this thing. So, you're not uninitiated. But those who are, are unfamiliar with the series, let me take you on a journey that is Final Fantasy. Um, the series uh, is a fantasy slash science fantasy uh, RPG or role playing games. Also, what's science fantasy? Well, think Star Wars or Fifth Element, and that's that's where you're, you're kind of going with the science fantasy stuff. But what's a role playing game, guys? Do I have to tell everybody what a role playing game is? It's like when you're playing cops and robbers with the misses. <laughs> well, that's a different kind of role playing. But a role playing game or RPG is a game in which players assume the roles of characters in a fictional setting, i.e., medieval, deep space, or zombie apocalypse. These imaginary characters usually engage in adventures and focus on character development through player action slash interaction and and can be singular or collaborative. Uh, like all things nerdy or steeped in geek, RPGs have different variations. Wouldn't you know that? I told you it was sexy, steeped in geek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to steep it, guys. You got you to let it just let it eh, marinate in there for a little bit. So we've got the, the tabletop variety i.e. Dungeons and Dragons, or D&D, as it's more commonly known to the populace. We got live action, or LARP, which is a mixture of improvisational theater and cosplay, pretty much. And then lastly, and more importantly, and more topically, we have the electronic variety known as video games. There's massively multiplayer online RPGs, or MMOs, which have a virtual, combined, large-scale social interaction with real or game-controlled players called NPCs. And then Final Fantasy... The game series we're talking about today is a single-player RPG, and these electronic RPGs tend to center on statistical character development and focused storytelling. Final Fantasy is known for its story. So now that we got all that out of the way, the first game in the series was released in 1987 by the then-known Squaresoft. Uh, the franchise has since branched out into other video game genres like tactical RPGs, action role-playing, racing, third-person shooter, fighting, rhythm. It's also branched out into other medias like CGI films, like the one we're going to talk about today, anime, manga, and actual proper novels with no pictures or nothing. So I do have one question, because that was a very comprehensive intro. What does Final Fantasy actually mean? The, just the title. The title refers to um, the company was not doing well, and a lot of their titles were not selling. So Final Fantasy, the first game, was going to be their swan song. Oh, this was going to be the last stitch. <laughs> what? No, it's just like it's it's just anytime you do something like that's supposed to be like poignant or something, it's oh, like yeah. it gets totally fucked up. <laughs> Gonna be their last game. So they put everything they had into this game and it absolutely was a hit in Japan. And then they brought it over to the United States and it also did very well. And then Squaresoft, especially in the mid to early 2000s had just hit after hit after hit after hit of amazing RPGs. So that's where the name Final Fantasy comes from. And that's why it's like, well, when's the final going to be it? You keep saying Final Fantasy. Well, that the first one was supposed to be the final one, ironically. As a kid, I assumed that they were like starting off as like a sequel to something because I was like, well, if it's the final one, what came first? You no, know? Like, it's, it's, I want to know the first fantasy. Yeah, you want to start from the beginning like a proper nerd. Right. So... And, and, and in line with that, most of the series of video games follows a continuing story. But Final Fantasy, each installment is generally a standalone, self-contained thing. So, I mean, there's exceptions to the rules. 
and each game has like different settings and plots and main characters, but the franchise is linked by reoccurring reoccurring elements, not limited to, but you know, it, it can sometimes extend over, but it's game mechanics, recurring character names, animals or creatures or something like that. So each plot centers on a particular group of heroes. We're battling a great evil and explore internal struggles and relationships. And the characters are frequently uh, named after people or places in history or all kinds of different languages all, all around the world, popular culture, worldwide cultural mythologies. So a lot of is dumped into these games. With the Final Fantasy, it's a very, very long running video game property, I guess. There have been like, I don't know, reboots and remakes of their own video games, right? Like they've basically are like a film franchise in that sense. Um, I mean, they've remade some of their games. Like, they brought them into HD or added elements to them. Let's say uh, Final Fantasy II, which you liked, Jason, back in the day. They'll take it, and then they'll update the graphics. They'll add, like, newer elements from some of their games. They're more, more recent games, so that basically makes it more modern, and then release it, like, on another, the latest system or whatever. Right, so they replace the headbands with jaggings and, you know... No, they they get in there deep. They get in there deep and they tweak it. But but there's also is like little fun stuff too. That's just like ah, eh, that's just for this is just for the fans. It doesn't really make the game that much better. It's just kind of a wink and a nod. Okay, okay so the, basically the stories are is to do this thing or to get a thing or to talk to a person to help you a thing to get access to a place or helps you meet another person who knows a thing or will stop or start an event that'll help you defeat great evil. And oh, don't forget somewhere in there there's also airships. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I love. Dirigibles. I don't know why I love dirigibles, but I love them. Well, it's a fun word. It's it's a fun word, and they're fun to go in. They they just this is a sidebar. They made a, a dirigible, I think, in Germany that you can like. It's a commercial line, and you can actually fly from like different countries. I totally want to just fly to Germany just so I can fly on an airship. We talked about this in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Like you know, if I told you if I was ever a Bond villain, I would have a, a Bond villain Zeppelin. Oh yeah, you know, that I would use for my Bond villain travels. You know, oh yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. And it would have you'd have torpedoes that would fall down. I mean, it would be well, instead of throwing people off your yacht, you throw them out of the, the moon door, you know? Like, yeah, like if you do a kill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. What are we looking for when it comes to this movie that we're going to be talking about today? It has to feel like Final Fantasy. To me, because of what I described in the series, that's both easy and difficult. And the reason is, is because it's all over the map. And that pun is intended. Uh, with stories that seemingly take place from both the past and future on a world indistinguishable from our own and also on realms undiscernible only by aliens from another dimension containing reaches of medieval Europe and Asia and futuristic tech noir slash cyberpunk influences. How do you mesh all of that? You know, nothing really ties the series like one and two is different from each other. You know, one and three are different. Nothing. There's no continuing character or story or anything like that. Essentially, you can do anything with this setting. It just can't be mundane. It has to be like an adventure. So it's kind of open to everything, but then again, it's open to anything. <laughs> so there's only a few traditional ties that ties all the, the Final Fantasies together. So here they are in no particular order. We have crystals, which are mythical objects that are intrinsically tied to the health of the planet, i.e. Uh, earth, water, fire, wind. We have airships. We have chocobos, which is a giant bird that can be ridden like a horse. Uh, we have swords of legend, like Excalibur and the Masamune. Uh, we have classes or jobs that define the abilities of a character and can be used in battle to save the day. 
Uh, we also have a character named Sid for some reason. He appears in every that's not the same guy, but it has to be. There has to be a character named Sid in each Final Fantasy thing. I don't know why. There's no explanation of it online or anything like that. It's just a it's a running gag. Sid was the janitor that worked in the building that decided that, oh, we're going out with a bang. Let's do Final Fantasy. And he's like, I think you should do it this way. <laughs> they're like, well, Sid. I guess you're going in the store. That's right, man. You're in there forever. Sid was like, have you tried characters? <laughs> have you tried characters? <laughs> I like magic. Maybe you should use <laughs> graphics this time in your video games. Have you tried charging money for your products? That'll never work. So that's it. You know, we need crystals, airships, bird horses, swords, and Sid. That's all we need. And if you throw in some great music or sound effects, that's a nice uh, wink to the fans. That's not necessary. And that's it. I, I love this series. It's still going strong today. But that's enough explaining. Let's press start. Let's pick some names. Let's roll the dice and get our stats out to whatever beast mode we can, we can get them to. You mentioned two words that are pretty freaking unique for this season. Mm. Uh, and you mentioned them several times. So mm. I'm, I'm excited for this shit. Because mm. you said characters and you said story. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. We are entering a, a hitherto unexplored realm. That This truly is the Final Fantasy. <laughs> With that, Mac, you have approached a... Uh, a witch, and she is selling relics. Do you purchase one or not? No, you punch her right in the face. All right, let's see what they choose in Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. <laughs> so I guess I'll do the cast. It seems to be a running thing here. Because you do the research, and I have just avoided doing the research. Yeah, it's because you're lazy. I refer to characters by their actor names all the way through my notes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> on this week's episode of Cinema Slop, we let Final Fantasy test the theory on us. Is it better to let movie studios create video game movies or... that Stop, stop. Video game movies shouldn't be made. Well, that's fucking rude. What? You're going to say, or video game studios produce movies? I mean, the answer is no. And your theory, it's just a question. <sighs> Man, am I writing these openings too cynically? Well, at least my lines. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about Keith David. I like that guy. <sighs> yeah, return of Keith David. Oh, number three, I believe. Yeah, it would be his third, I think. So... I mean, I liked his little cameo in this. <laughs> his little cameo? Is it a cameo in our voice actors? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. Well, anyway, Keith David's in this bitch. Yeah, I mean, he's the most important member of the entire council. Council member number one. Yeah. He has a member. He is the member. He's the number one member. <laughs> well, that's it's better to be the number one member because you don't want to be the number two member because it's weird to poop with a member. <laughs> it's more like a cloaca. You know, we use that word a lot. <laughs> Anyway, back to the cast. So the main character and weird maximum obsession is uh, Ming Ha Wen <laughs> plays Dr. Aki Ross. I don't understand, Jason. How can Dr. Aki Ross be played by Ming Na Wen when Ming Na Wen is a is a voice person and Dr. Aki Ross is a totally real person that was in Maximum? I don't understand. It's a weird scenario. Did the voice actor just dub her? I mean, because obviously she exists. You can't be in Maximum if you're a cartoon. Oh, wait, I just looked at the photo. She totally was a cartoon. So this is a weird movie. So they got voice actors to do the voice acting, obviously, but they didn't use those voice actors to do any of the emo emotion capture, and they only used it for some motion, not all motion. So it's super fucking weird. So all these actors are voice actors, and they have nothing to do with any of the motion or anything in this movie. I mean... Not to jump too far ahead of my review, but it kind of makes sense because there's a very special surrealism that applies to uh, video game cutscenes before, I don't know, this year. And they managed to capture that very well. And I think that the process you're describing might be the key to it. It could be. 
So to round out this cast of characters, we got uh, Alec Baldwin plays Gray Edwards, Captain. Sorry, he played Ben Affleck. He did play Ben Affleck. He looked <laughs> the character they drew on screen looked an awful lot like Ben Affleck, like a lawsuit inducingly similar. I mean, Ming Na Wen kind of looks the part of Aki Ross, but Alec Baldwin has nothing to do with the character he voices. Well, and neither did uh, Ving or Steve, you know. So no, they didn't. But you know. Not to jump ahead or anything here, damn it. Yeah, that's why I didn't use full names. I'm trying to trying to keep the mystique for you. I mean, this film has surprisingly good voice actors in it, so this might actually be the strongest cast of any fucking movie that we have done so far. So Ving Rhames plays uh, one of the soldiers, Ryan. Uh, I mean, there's it, nothing remarkable about it. He's just a good fucking actor, and he doesn't belong in this. They were like, we need somebody who like is intimidating, and so they got an intimidating guy's voice, which makes total sense. It's funny because the character doesn't really look like him. And Ving Rhames, if you just drew him too, it would make so much more sense because the dude's like nine feet tall. Honestly, I can see all of these actors being drawn as the characters. They would all fit, aside from maybe Alec Baldwin. James Woods would have to tie would have to dye his hair black. <laughs> well, yeah, and also, you know, age him down like twenty years. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, but time is a ravaging beast that catches us all. But we got Steve Buscemi in this. Like, come on. Because it's only voice acting and they didn't do any mocap, th- their time was minimal. Like they, according to some of the things I read, they they came in and did this over the course of like four months, just part time. So they they didn't have to do much, and it wasn't like they were coming in and voice acting against another person. They were just coming in here reading lines. Uh, that's that's like the worst. I mean, it still turned out all right. No, it turned out all right, but it's, it it is fairly stilted. Yeah, I get that. So to round out again, we got Perry Gilpin. You know her as. Uh, Roz from Frasier. Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, but this character has permanent THO in this movie for some reason. It's easier to render, render the nipple once than to do it over and over again. So they just kept using the same nipple. We got Donald Sutherland in this, which he plays the only character that is repeated from the game. Dr. Sid is in the video game, but none of these other characters are. Round this out, we got James Woods. He's the villain. And then Gene Simmons, not the Gene Simmons you think, but uh, she was a actor from back in the day suffice to say she's a good damn actor good damn actor she's she's council member number two she's the one that takes care of the long-term business yes potty humor we got another character he doesn't really do anything major elliot it's matt mckenzie you may know him i don't so why talk about him well that's a good segue (laughs) plot time got it exposit before you go they say that your life flashes before your eyes but it's actually the script (laughs) All my notes always start with just like whatever strikes me as the very first thing. You know, it's like I got all mad at Wing Commander for the map, you know? Yeah. So my first note of this is Desolate Vista to extreme close-up of eye blinking. Got it. It's one of those movies. Oh, yeah. And and oddly enough, I think that actually does tell you a lot. This is one of those movies that's like going to do stuff that's jarring just for the sake of calling it artsy. And that's fine. It just kind of is a clue, you know? But anyway, uh, we see who turns out to be Dr. Ross uh, in this desolate vista, and she steps on, steps on a crab, at which point uh, the camera goes underwater, and I said, yep, it's a dream. Yeah, pretty fucking obvious. Uh, she wakes up. It's reported to us, the audience, via expository voiceover, that she's been having this dream since the arrival of some aliens some 34 years ago. She's concluded that the dreams are going to help her save the Earth. And then we pull back and she's on she's on a space station. Oh, it was it was this real moment with pretty much no dialogue aside from some like 
slight monologuing, and then boom, back on a ship. Yeah, so we get on a uh, shuttlecraft thingy, and she goes down to Earth, and she's looking for stuff. We don't know what kind of stuff, and she encounters some weird spectral ghost thingies, um, and they go through her, and it's not actually her that it goes through, is it? It's somebody else. Uh, no, it's just going through objects and shit. Oh, okay, yeah. My notes were pretty disinterested early on, it seems. Um, so some soldiers drop in uh, while she's searching around, and they tell her that she's not allowed to be there, but then they all get attacked. So they're getting attacked, and then uh, she finds a plant. She says, you can't take me anyway, because I've detected life. And my note here is, oh, hey, Steve Buscemi's in this thing. <laughs> oh, hey. You recognize his voice immediately. Yeah, he's he stands out. And you're thinking to yourself, I wonder what this guy looks like. I bet he's kind of funny looking. Yeah, maybe. Maybe a little bit. It's a Fargo reference. I didn't catch it, so you didn't say it right. Just imagine I'm a bucktooth prostitute and you'll get it. Ah, got it. So after she finds the plant, there's a action type escape scene uh, where the soldiers who are trying to arrest her are now guarding her as they escape. And this is when Alec Baldwin shows up wearing his best Ben Affleck mask. He's like super mad at Dr. Ross. We don't know her name yet. Uh, we don't know he's Alec Baldwin. We don't know he's Ben Affleck. None of this matters. And they fly to uh, Barrier City, New York City. Uh, Barrier City number 42. Thank you very much. <laughs> the audience doesn't get it. They shouldn't be listening to us anyway. If you don't like hitchhikers, get the fuck out. Yeah. No, please, do, please don't leave. We need you. Your attention is what keeps us alive. Everybody gets scanned on entry for disease, but it's like walking through a medical metal detector. <laughs> yeah, it's basically going through TSA. If TSA was even more invasive, then they instead of using gloves, they were like, yeah, let's get all the way down in your genome. Yeah, and this was produced in 2001, so this is either just before or just after all the horse shit that went down. You know, TSA wasn't a thing yet, really. My note here is everyone gets scanned on entry, and Ben Affleck has a phantom disease. Total Affleck move. Yeah. I mean, are we just going to call him Ben Affleck for the rest of the movie? I mean, I'm going to. It's either that or Alec Baldwin. How about Ben Affleck? No, that doesn't roll very well. Uh, I'll just figure it out as I go, because I can't figure it out now. So he's infected, so they they drag him over to the medical table, and they get a Matrix laser to shoot the Phantom out of his soul. And this is like a total Matrix 2 kind of bullshit, like when they're using that weird-ass gun in the limousine to like suck that thing out. I forgot about that movie. I kept thinking about that movie during this movie, and it's I don't know which one came first, but I mean, they're kind of the same kind of thing. So they just keep zapping this little sploogy like tar monster thingy on a display with a laser and it keeps getting tinier and stuff but it keeps like hiding from them and they're like no more laser and then eventually they do it enough and uh game over they win they got enough uh, hit points off of it and it died in bad sci-fi they try to act like drama exists because there's a music cue and a graphical display because like the music was tense and there was a thing showing us that there was a squiggly do, mm-hmm. but what they hadn't done was explain to the audience why we cared about the squiggly do, what the squiggly do meant, how you kill it, what the time frame, like they build up a little bit of the time issue, but really there's no investment. We don't know who these people are. We don't care who these people are. So these sorts of scenes just never work. They just feel like uh, perfunctory. To me, it's one of those scenes basically where you expect the clock to end on 007. Yeah, that's perfect. Except when you do it before the end of the movie, it's not cool. Right. And that's what happened. Surprise, surprise. And what's your prize? Maxim's top 100 model computer animated thing of the year. (laughs) I just want to say, as a Maxim model, I I don't 
I don't get it because she's like all slathered up in grease and in a bikini in Maxim. And she spends all of this movie in a lab coat. So did you look at the Wikipedia article for this movie? Uh, I skimmed like the synopsis, like the early history thing. In the part about this Maxim article, they wanted to make her like supermodel, that sort of sort of style, like just like the Maxim article guy shows like just tits flop around everywhere. Right. More breasty, more blonde, less doctory. But since it's a the character is a doctor, they're like, well, we can't have this supermodel-esque thing and, and be a doctor. So we they toned her down a bit. So you're saying that Maxim did the Maxim thing to this character or they that was the original idea for the movie? Uh, they rendered that for Maxim, from what I understand. But that was the original idea for the movie. The original idea for the movie was to do like dead or alive volleyball. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, like all these video games have just these busty women spilling out every fucking suit they're in yeah i mean that was definitely the style of the time and final fantasy was no different not the modern ones like the old blocky ones obviously couldn't do it i mean i noticed a couple of the fairies have like big blocks but i didn't they were big blocks they weren't (laughs) well it's like the mario mustache region you're like that's a giant breast area but you know the like the once you get into like the 2000s of final fantasy like the sevens eights and nines i mean those characters became bustier and voluptuous the modern angular anime aesthetic really took over right what i thought was really interesting about the little bit i read was that this character they were going to make her a reoccurring actor as a CG actor yeah. in multiple films. But what's funny about that is that it shows that they couldn't get the design right on her for enough continuity between a magazine and one film, let alone two films or three films. I think they did the magazine as a publicity stunt. I don't know. I think they took time to care. Like they, they rendered her hair like 600 strands at a time. Like That's pretty cool. I'm not saying that they didn't take care with the character. I'm saying that... The movie Simone is based on this premise that you could have an actress that was completely artificial or synthetic, but like that would require continuity across all appearances, you know, like, Oh, I see. So I'm just saying like, they fucked up the game right there. Not, not the video game, but the game of making the game of making her continue continuity, contiguous presence. You know? Right. Anywho, back to the story at hand. Eh, I don't know. I like this better. We'll get to this after they save Affleck with the bioadhesive laser. Dr. Sid shows up. He basically says, nah, it's cool. Dr. Ross doesn't have to be scanned. And my note here is she must be a ghost. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) This is where the mumbo jumbo really gets kicked up into high gear. The plant that she saved is, is scanned and it matches the waveform of something that they describe as being the sixth spirit. Right. This isn't fully explained for a few more minutes, but They have a conversation then about how they're responsible for keeping the planet alive because Dr. Sid, using this spirit waveform technology, developed all the shields that keep the phantoms out. He developed the uh, weapons that can fight the phantoms and, and all this stuff, but because his ideas are unpopular, they all need to burn their notes and uh, not talk about the spirits in public and definitely don't have sex with Affleck. Yeah, there's this whole fucking stupid line like, or Copernicus or whatever the fucking person. That, Galileo. But- yeah, Galileo said the Earth wasn't the center of the universe and it was so unpopular he was, you know, done whatever to at the time. Galileo was found guilty of heresy. Heresy, that's the term. Yeah, I'm not an educated man. Anywho. It's okay, you're a smart man. Or at least a smart ass. I'm a smart ass. So yeah, they have to burn all this shit as a stupid cliche fucking bullshit. Well, and I want to point out one fundamental difference between Galileo and what they're doing. 
And that is that when Galileo was accused of heresy or blasphemy or whatever it was, he hadn't just spent the last 34 years or however many years it was saving the planet with his technology. Yeah. And he was also combating religious fundamentalism and other things, whereas this society seems to be very scientifically literate and oriented. They have like an overactive Colin Powell, but you know, otherwise they're okay. Yes. Overactive Colin Powell. I get it. So then she has another dream. Instead of using uh, cutaways in this or like audio cuts, I'm just going to say, so then she has another dream every single time we need to cut back. Yeah, we're going to put like dreamscapes in our in our cutaways too. So it's going to be great. We'll backtrack you. <laughs> Don't even know what that means. It's playing things in reverse and hearing satanic things. Like you tell people what they're supposed to hear and then they hear it. I know what that is now. Audio pareidolia. Correct. So she dreams of a bug attack. And uh, the bug attack is countered with missiles or spaceships flying at things. I don't know. It's hard to tell. We cut to a council meeting. We learn that the phantoms are living inside of a meteor that landed 34 years ago, but are impervious to attack physically. Also, when you kill the phantoms that are outside of the thing, the ones on the inside of the thing wake up and come outside. So basically, there's a permanent level of phantom infestation. You just don't even bother fighting it. It's basically just exposition council meeting number one. Basically, this is where he explains his theory, which is that they can use the waveforms that he's generating as sort of like one of those ultra supersonic mosquito repellent things that probably doesn't work. Oh, doesn't work at all. If you take the waveform of the phantoms and you create a counter waveform by compositing eight waveforms from a sample set that we don't know what the set contains that that composite inverted and placed on top of the other one will create apparently what I assume is audio cancellation similar to when audio's out of phase. They just say magic and then phantom bad go good. Yeah, basically this is a cutscene that you ignored in the video game you were playing and now you don't understand why you're trying to find seventh plant matter thing. Right, but yeah, so the council is like, just like me, they're skeptical, they're unimpressed, and they're like, well, what if we just use this giant gamma ray burst weapon thingamajig that we developed at cost of billions of dollars instead? And she's like, don't do that because I have phantom cancer. It's inside a tiny force field in my chest. Yeah, that's controlled by these waveforms. I guess she's supposed to be saying I'm the test case that proves that this works. Yeah. What's interesting is that it's working, so why do they need to continue adding waveforms? Because it's working, but whatever, don't worry about it. Hand wavy, hand wavy. Don't look at what's going on here. We've rendered this content. I think the problem is they only partially rendered this scene, but they fully rendered a scene later. They're render machines they put on ad hoc, so the movie gets better in time. PlayStation 3, number 248 in the cluster just took a shit. Honestly, I think PlayStation 3s are more powerful than the machines they had running this or rendering this. We cut to the outside world, and this is when I realized that her dream earlier was actually possibly indicative of the world they lived in because they show an exterior shot of like the ground above and then the camera goes down and you realize they're like they're subterranean but there's like a force field over top of them that's like gathering dust so it looks like ground up above this is a cool world building detail that has no bearing on anything i just said to myself oh neat i like that oni moment there's a lot of those in this movie actually yeah the 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 visuals in this movie are really well 
designed and I mean like lighting and things like that are all are like all very well thought out. Uh, so there's a lot of cool stuff in that. The only part. thing that would make this movie worse would be adding Jar Jar Binks to it. You used to say Phantom's gonna die? Yeah. Maybe that's what the Phantom Menace was. They just didn't get to the part where they're like, the spectral creatures crawled out of the earth and stole everybody's souls. You know, I mean, I think this movie is rendered better than that <laughs> We learn from Dr. Ross as she is joined by Captain Affleck, as he joins her uh, on the go up thingy, we learn that they've postponed the super laser firing. This is when Steve Buscemi decides to break the go up thingy so that the captain and Dr. Ross can have some bang time. Uh, so, you know, you also find out they're, they used to be a couple, I guess that happened earlier, but I'm just telling you now, but then she tells him how she had to have her surgery in zero G. So that's why she left so fast and didn't tell him nothing. He's mad at her because that's still really inconsiderate to just leave and not call. And she tells the story of how everything's okay because the fifth spirit was a dying seven year old girl who was ready to die. And that's real sad. This movie could have dealt without the whole like forced relationship aspect of it. It did seem sort of silly. Like nothing would have changed if they hadn't been a couple. And and maybe they just started to like each other. That would have been fine too. You know, all they had to do was not be mad at each other at the start. And then one of them could tell a nice joke and the other one be like, ha ha. And then it's believable. Right. Otherwise, the Aflac Maxim model relationship doesn't work. The the Steve Buscemi sabotaging the lift thing was just weird. It's stupid. It's just a mechanism to get them to talk and for her to tell us about the five Gaia's that she's found. It also felt very video gamey because it's like that happens and that's the start of a cutscene. Yeah, it, this movie was a video game that you couldn't play. We then cut to the captain in evil admiral's military rumpus room. It's like a really stylish art deco den. But the Admiral assigns the captain to guard Dr. Ross and report on her behavior. But then as soon as Dr. Ross leaves, he's like, I don't trust this guy. Who the hell put him on the job? Put some men on the job to watch him. It's just like a Russian nesting doll of distrust. The villain in this movie is just so horrible. You want to believe that the villains, the phantoms, but let's be honest, it's not. It's fucking James Woods. Oh, for sure. And he's just so incompetent as a villain. Yeah, but his voice acting is pretty solid. His voice acting is amazing, but the lines they gave him are awful. He says the most illogical things so well, I almost think they're logical. (laughs) Right? This is the kind of stupid you can only get with nepotism. Yeah, this is like, they should have cast like Kiefer Sutherland in this. It'd been better because he's a nepotism from (laughs) Donald. Doctor is just like... God damn it, I knew I shouldn't have gotten you into military school. It would have been a better like relationship. Yeah, so it's about time that they go to Tucson. They drop buoys, or as I spelled them, boyos. Boyos! Distra- <laughs> they drop some boyos to distract the phantoms, which is where they, they scan around for a bit and they find a dead soldier. And when they scan him real close, they find out that he's not the, fan- the, the seventh spirit. His backpack contains the seventh spirit in a cylinder. And it's like a gas can. I love that she's like... Oh, well, how does a gas can exist with have life in it? And she's like, oh, well, they use human cells. Ah, fuck it, I'll explain later. And then doesn't. <laughs> that was dialogue they thought they were going to need, and they just decided it was okay. It's in a cut scene on some random terabyte of disk somewhere. I'm pretty sure she said something about biofuel. So, like, it's whatever. It's, it's bird shit in there, so it's fine. It's distilled corn. Apparently, the seventh spirit is whiskey. In my book of religion, the seventh spirit is whiskey. Really, it's the first spirit. Jack Daniels number seven is the exact spirit that we're probably talking about. Well, in my book of spirits, the first spirit is whiskey. The second spirit is gin. Third spirit is malort. (laughs) You dick. (laughs) 
This is my book, man. I'm not speaking to you. You can write your own damn book. This is why you have no adherence on your fucking religion, man. People are like, I was with you up until that Malort bullshit. Anywho, whiskey's the seventh spirit. Jack got demoted. Because Jack took seven tries. And on the seventh day, Jack created Jack. And everybody said, fuck it, it's good enough. (laughs) Oh, God. We can't even drink in this county. Just put that in Coke. Meanwhile. After they find the backpack, a giant prawn spirit sucks the spirit out of a guy and eats his circulatory system. I mean- spirit by the way the way that these things are drawn it's it's almost identical to a like an iodine infused bloodstream they really do look like giant prawns or like sea creatures they're just or non-comporal jellyfish i think some of them have uh have big claw thingies and some of them have you know big tails and other ones are like octopodes if i had to get my spirit sucked out by something i would like it to be a giant shrimp (laughs) me I'd go with a giant orca. They just look cute. Then they go. Hop. All right, fine. You can have your orca. You can have fucking free willy flying out goddamn sea and eating you. Free willy's just going to do a belly flop on top of my corpse. He's going to make John jelly. Wait, free willy is a killer whale, which is different than an orca. So I thought they were the same. I have a horror movie called Orca, so I'm pretty sure that's a killer whale. <laughs> well, it is in the movie. Well, that's what I'm talking about. I feel like adding a action verb to the beginning of a word shouldn't be the name of your species yeah it is the killer whale especially when you especially when it's so goddamn cute they look like fucking water pandas <laughs> they do oh we should go through a whole like marine episode we should do like the meg and talk about marine animals but we'll do it as a commentary track so it just plays in sync with the movie <laughs> oh yeah and we'll get a marine anthropologist involved and it'll be great oh fuck yeah we we are nothing if we are not scientifically accurate yeah uh. Back to them. So she has a dream. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. So I don't actually know if she had a dream. Um, oh, no, she does have a dream. It was a cutscene, so yeah, she had a dream. One other thing happens before she has a dream. The captain wants to take her to the hospital after she faints, uh, and apparently that's enough of a deviation from, the, from orders for the two soldiers that are watching Affleck, who is watching Ross, decide that they can't watch any longer and try to take command away from Affleck. Yeah, I mean... They were always going to take command away from Affleck. They were just looking for any reason. It was like 12 minutes after the start of their shift. Yeah. Affleck attacks the guard and there's some stuff, yada, yada. The pilot swerves the airplane so that it partially passes through a phantom, which kills the guard who's... Yeah. And he said portside or starboard or whatever. And then they all moved and blah, blah, blah. Which is not a great plan, but whatever. Cut back. The Admiral orders... Dr. Ross and the captain to be arrested uh, and all of their research related materials uh, on the phantoms to be seized. And uh, he just tacks onto that, that he wants to frame them as traitors. Cut back to the SIDS medical bay or whatever. Tells Ben Affleck that Dr. Ross needs a sympathetic spirit to keep her attached to the mortal coil. And basically he's got to interspace her soul or some shit. It was like incepting. Uh, So he goes into her dream and this is where she talks him through what's going on. But basically she's like, yeah souls i don't know there's not actually much dialogue here but something attacks and then something makes the attack stop and then everything explodes in the dream and then they wake up and the doctor says that she's good for a bit but that they need the eighth spirit to like level up her force field because apparently the phantoms are like picking the lock or something on her heart cage so at this point i'm confused by whose perspective we're supposed to be understanding. Well, you'd basically have an omniscient perspective at this point. Yes, it is omniscient because Dr. Ross believes that she is having these dreams because she has a phantom lodged in her spirit that is is having her have these dreams. Right. So every time she goes to dream, she's seeing this phantom's dreams, basically. 
this phantom's trying to tell her something. Mm-hmm. Now, everything up to this point was fine, I think, because whatever spirit she's got locked in was in this middle of this battle that happened before the planet exploded. Right. So once the planet explodes is basically where we're at is where the planet explodes. Should that spirit still have that dream? The, the answer is yes, because as we get further and further on in the movie, they will address this by explaining that the spirits are in fact spirits because they're dead. Oh, I know. I'm just saying like the, the point where the planet explodes and you see the rock flying out of it, that perspective is incorrect because you, the spirit oh, wouldn't oh. be seeing the rock flying towards it. It would be on the rock seeing it leave the planet, which I think would be a better shot. Okay. No, you're right about that last shot. I thought you meant about the, the conclusion of the dream in general. It, its perspective should end the moment the, the thing dies, you know? Right. So it, unless it's on the ejected portion of planet and like just clinging to it going, bah! which I think would be a fun shot. Let's be real. That's more of like a Raymond kind of, Kind of angle. It is, which I think would be a good video game movie. (laughs) So she has a dream. (laughs) Sorry. Again, with the fucking dreams. So they wake up uh, and the doctor says she's good, yada, yada. Uh, And then that's when the goon squad appears to arrest everyone. We cut back to the admiral who's now telling somebody off screen that his wife and daughter were killed by the phantoms. And that basically explains why he wants to go murder bomb crazy on all of the phantoms. Yeah. So he hates the phantoms. Good. Good for you. He's telling this to like his secretary. So it's like, hey, Susan, we've known each other for 20 years. Did I ever tell you about my wife and kid? (laughs) I'll never be a good writer because I'll never understand how to exposit correctly. And I rag on writers all the time. And I have to admit, it's not easy. I've tried. It fucking sucks. But Jesus fucking Christ, (laughs) stop fucking expositing all over yourself. You look like a fool. (laughs) I mean, I mean, that's that that is a good image, though, that just the writer drooling exposition on himself. Just it's on his chest. It's on his hands. He can't touch any paper without getting it like you have an exposition stain there. You can clean that up. I think the key with exposition is to take your time and not be too overt. But movies anymore don't like taking their time and they like being overt. So do you remember that time we watched the thing and it like didn't tell you stuff explicitly? You had to like sort of pay attention. And it was. Still a somewhat short movie. It's because it didn't cram everything in. It just like let things breathe. Man, I feel like the thing is a spirit on its own. Should at least be the fourth spirit. The thing is actually the ninth spirit. It just eats the other eight. Just (laughs) It, it lives on J and B. The Admiral decides to take over the barrier control center and allow just a couple of phantoms in, you know, so that he can fake save the day. I'm not sure what step two is, but he thinks this is going to really help him. Oh, right. He wants to shoot the missile, so this will help change their minds. Yeah, he he wants to basically convince the council that he needs to blow them all up with this machine they call Zeus. Right. God reference or whatever, but two in a row now. (laughs) So then we cut back to the prison and the doctor is saying that the phantoms are actually survivors of the destruction of a planet that rode a rock that crashed into earth, but they didn't survive. So they're not really survivors. They're actually ghosts of another species and another planet. You still with me, Jason? They're just really malicious. Well, it's like they're confused, drunk, disoriented ghosts of another species and another world. I know this theory has come out probably after this movie, but I'd love them to have mentioned like panspermia. That's the thing I don't get is why have the ghost aspect of it? Panspermia is already a fantastical concept. Not so fantastical that it's impossible, but then you add on top of that literal ghosts, like the spirit world attacking the physical world. It's like, what, you couldn't have just had panspermia? Like, you're getting greedy. Just that idea of panspermia getting hit with a asteroid or 
meteor or whatever it's called, because I don't remember the correct terminology. It's a meteor once it enters the atmosphere? Once it enters the atmosphere, it's a meteor, and it's an asteroid when it's in route between places. So the aspect of panspermia would be an interesting concept for a movie. Or just bacterium that started new life, and over time they created... Yeah, like you said, like they created new life, and they those mm-hmm. were confused and... Or predatory. They could just be predatory animals or beings that, that grew up on our planet because they crashed here. Yeah, just like literally an invasive species. But maybe they hang out near the crater because the crater has like insert name of stupid thing that they need from their planet. Sure. Krypton, Krypton moss, you know. <laughs> Good for us for recognizing the same movie. <laughs> the planned breach doesn't go as well as they had hoped. He made a huge mistake. The control room where they are gets attacked and the Admiral, I just wrote, has regrets <laughs> because things went bad. The uh, jail has laser bars and they get turned off because you know, damage that's when the phantoms are attacking and they're now visible. And there's a line from somebody about how they probably have a residual charge from crossing the barrier. But up until this point, I didn't actually understand that everybody in the movie couldn't see the phantoms. Oh, really? I thought they were just spectral colored. <laughs> no, they had like special goggles on that could, would make them see them. I guess I wasn't paying close of an attention to like notice that they had their goggles down, but like everybody was acting like they could see them. So obviously it wasn't a big problem. If you're not watching this, like you're watching a video game, you don't like, you don't see like the different, like their site versus when it slides over to the other site. Versus when it's third person sight and whatever. I didn't see them push right, right X to select the new goggles. Exactly. It didn't actually affect my understanding of the movie up until this point. I just went, oh. But even after this point, they can still see them, I think. Well, because now they're charged. Even when they go to the, was it Caspian? Caspian Mountains? They could still see them, but those weren't charged. They broke their own continuity. So basically what you're saying is they they threw in a line that was supposed to explain something, but they didn't even need to explain it because they weren't following it anyway. Exactly. They broke their own continuity and they tried to fix it, but then in their own way, they broke it again. (laughs) So in NASCAR, it's all lefts, right? Yeah. What? (laughs) Sorry. Precisely. So the bars go off, our saviors are freed, and now they have to escape. So they get in this... I don't know. It's like a space dune buggy. Space dune buggy. And they're fucking like driving around. And, you know, the, the pilot is the driver, which, I mean, it's it's hard to drive those vehicles in video games. So it's understandable that he, he fucks his car up beyond belief and they crash and Ving Rhames is now stuck in it. He's okay. He's just like pinned or some shit. Who knows? He, he has like a thing through the liver, so he's going to die anyway. So whatever. It's a Sprite through the liver. <laughs> Yes, a sprite, a collection of images used to help loading. They go to get Dr. Ross's ship, which was impounded earlier. Probably didn't mention that either. Well, basically, like they, they try to take off, but they can't because they're still tethered to the thing. One of the lesser characters goes outside to untether the thing with Steve Buscemi. Yeah, Jane's nipples, nipples Jane. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to call her a lesser character. I meant one of the lesser rendered characters. She was rendered in the chest only. Tony, they just kept using that one nipple. It was a sprite. <laughs> they had to fucking render 141,001 scenes, so whatever. Frames, but yeah. Yeah, frames. So anyway, she gets killed defending Steve Buscemi, who then gets killed trying to avenge her death. And then Dr. Ross goes to try and help after they're all dead. Not Dr. Ross, uh, 
Ben Affleck. Captain. Captain Affleck. Caflack. Captain Affleck gets back on the ship at the last possible moment with a heroic platform jump, which seems appropriate. And Ving Rhames tries to distract the attacking phantoms with his car gun. He gets killedified, and then they take off. We're now basically main characters plus Sid plus villain. The Buscemi's, the Nipples, Jane, and the Ving Rhames are now perished. Correct, yeah. So this is where things don't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. Basically, the movie. Also, it's the end. Things don't make a hell of a lot of sense, the movie. <laughs> Final Fantasy, Spirits Within. Watch out for the sequel, Advent Children Electric Boogaloo. I don't think that's a sequel, but whatever. Apparently, it's also more directly based off a of video game, so it would have been more appropriate to watch that. Mac, future you, eat a dick. So this is around the time when uh, Admiral makes mistakes. James Woods? I don't know. Yeah, that's the guy. He's uh, he's finally decided that it's time to give up vampire hunting and he just needs to nuke it from space. Well, there's this whole scene that is appalling. So he thought he made a huge mistake and he did. He basically just fucked an entire city right. behind this barrier. So he killed, you know, probably a couple million people that mm-hmm. were living in this little containment area. So he's in space and he's floating there. He's just clicking bullets out of his gun, being a dick. And, uh... He's about to do the suicide bit. He's about to do the suicide bit, which I find stupid. He's a villain. He's supposed to be a villain. You're not supposed to be like, oh my God, he feels sad. That is not a feeling I should ever apply to a villain, especially in a movie like this. I guess I didn't even take it as sad. I just I just thought like... Regretful? I don't know. He's run out of paths to be an effective villain. So he's like, well, I guess that means I should die. There's nobody here to kill me, so I might as well do it myself. At which point... The council calls him and is like, no, wait, have a bigger gun. And he's like, oh, I feel much better now. Does the council even call him at this point? Because I... They call an interrupt. I think it just... His computer says destination. I don't even think the council does that. I thought thought it was a video phone call. No, they do that from Zeus. Well, in that case, I have no idea. Exactly. That's my point. Like, (laughs) he's on his little spaceship and he's just floating around in space because he escaped somehow. And now he's floating around in space and he's dicking around with his fucking space gun and flicking bullets out. And he has the last one in the chamber, and he his computer dings at him. He's like, hey, Google Maps here. Do you want to go somewhere, dude? Uh, we can get you there. Google Maps is like, we see you're out of bullets. Would you like to go to a military installation? And he's like, oh, shit. I did have a purpose. I need to go to Zeus. And that's just fucking horseshit to me. He, he literally, his eyes go wide, and he said, hey, sexy mama, want to kill all humans? Kill all humans. Feed me, cat. Exactly. <laughs> so that's why I thought that scene was... Uh, just appalling it was horrible because all it took was a little dink for the computer to remind him he had a purpose reminder it should have never been a scene in this movie they wasted hours of render time so sorry tirade over they go to the crater dr sid starts scanning in the crater they're looking for this eighth spirit right and dr sid is like oh i should have done this a long time ago apparently we could scan inside the crater because I never thought to look for a spirit there, but there's one there. You know that thing full of life that we never looked at? Yeah. Turns out we should have looked at that. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. No. But as they're suiting up and descending in their EAV for Dr. Ross's ship that they stole, uh, that's when the Admiral decides to fire off the Zeus there's some dialogue that I skipped, probably about 10 minutes, but who cares? Yeah, Keith David comes back in and says, you have the council's permission to shoot these motherfuckers, basically. So he does. Yeah. And repeatedly. And I'm kind of satisfied with this because 
in some movies, it would be like a race to make it so he doesn't have to or some dumb shit. It's kind of sort of a Star Wars when they fire the Death Star. You're like, oh, shit. They yeah. actually did that. It's pretty cool. But yeah, it doesn't actually kill all the spirits the way that, you know, the Admiral had hoped. It actually just unleashes a Kraken, a spirit Kraken. So this this crashes Dr. Ross's bubble. <laughs> yeah. They're, so they're in this little, like, bubble <laughs> SUV thing. Like, it's so stupid looking. Yeah, James Cameron would be ashamed of that. He would be ashamed because it had wheels and not fins. <laughs> to be fair, it was very dorky. It was super dorky. Dr. Ross calls the admiral after she wakes up and tries to explain the whole thing to him. She's like, yeah, so you know that the ghost core of a foreign planet crash landed on our planet. The survivors bonked their noggins, but after they died and now they're lashing out because they're confused. And that Zeus laser is like a feeding tube for them. And it only makes them stronger. Naturally, uh, James Woods does not believe her and he just makes fun of her, which is probably pretty realistic too yeah that's pretty realistic and he doubles down and basically is like more power yeah i mean this is where it gets a little crazy where he's like i have to fire this laser as many times as possible until it explodes and the other guy's like but if you let it cool off it'll let us fire more times overall and he's like fuck you keep firing assholes yeah i have to go down to the special utility bay and override everything yeah basically he takes the safety off the shotgun but yeah so so that means they're reloading it while it's firing seems real good it's silly Ross and the captain fall deeper into the pit and the monsters get bigger. They realize that the spirit they're looking for is a phantom. Uh, and it must have been a phantom that came in contact with a species born of our Gaia and it became a new combo spirit. And that's what they now need to complete the eight spirit thingy that then is a waveform that you invert and set on top of the other thing. And it yeah, makes a- yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Exposition, exposition, exposition. However... Wood's character kills it. Did he kill it or did he just shoot it enough times that it got real big? He killed it. And then, ex machina style, the Gaia that lives in the earth takes the little bullshit phantom that lives inside of Maxim's top 100 animated woman of the year, <laughs> little phantom, and turns that into the eighth. So boom. Because, because what you're saying is... James Woods killed all the phantoms except for the Gaia, and the Gaia was like, I'm going to make a new phantom. Luckily, I have this one that was inside of a security field. And then James Woods fires again, and that kills his ship, and that kills Gaia. Lucky for everybody involved. That's not the end of the story. It's not. Dr. Ross survives the explosion, but the captain is not looking so hot. He's, he's okay. He's still, he's still attractive. I mean, he's still Ben <laughs> Affleck. He's, he's kind of Ben Affleck in that Batman versus Superman movie where he's got a bad knee and he's an alcoholic. Yeah. He's a little worn down. All he wants to do now is just a self-sacrifice. He just wants to hari kari to save the world. He basically just says, Oh, I have it all in my body and I, now we can project it into the thing. And Affleck's like, you can't do this. I must do it for you. He basically cups her breast and grabs one of the fucking spirit things and has his spirit taken, and that converts everything back into Gaia. Does he, like, tweak her nipple to get the right frequency? He's like, I would nipple. hope so, but they didn't render that. It was a low to bear setting for the nipple. I'm, I'm really hoping that will be an, a bonus feature. Even though she's wearing, like, a metal chest plate, which is why you never saw the nipple. <laughs> Anywho, we've reached end movie. Well, I mean, first everything has to turn blue. Oh, yeah. So everything turns blue, and the Earth blossoms like somebody shot the... Uh, Star Trek Genesis tube all over the planet or whatever it was. And then a hawk flies over a mountain. I want to talk about the last words spoken in this movie. Is, is it profound? It's very profound. 
it's when all this blue little spectral shit's floating around the earth and Dr. Sid is walking towards the crater and he walks through one of them and he's like, oh, that's warm. Those are the last words spoken in this movie. So this entire movie is a really fancy way for a foreign planet to pee in our pool? I guess. The first things that came into my head were, is that what Kiefer said when his egg was inseminated with Donald's semen? Uh, oh, that's warm. <laughs> to end with a hitchhiker's sort of reference, maybe it was, oh no, not again. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. How are these places so big? Well, it's it's easy. You take off the fourth wall and then you can just... Oh, wait. No, that's how they shoot them. Shut up, John. Sorry. <laughs> Afterthoughts. Why? Um, no. <laughs> huh? Yeah, it's, it, it is more of a huh, isn't it? It is kind of a huh. And kind of a ah. Oh. However, I think this is an important film for what we're trying to accomplish in this season, being that this is a movie... Not based on a video game, but created by a video game. Yeah, th- I mean, this was Square Studios trying to to literally leverage their storytelling capacity. Exactly. So this is only a video game movie in title and one actual character. So adaptations out the window for this, in my opinion. However, <laughs> zero, points. zero points. You get negative points for this, fuckers. But they allowed the video game studio to kind of render the content and create the content. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of cool, and I think that's important. To your point, it presages the sort of storytelling techniques that would grow and grow and grow and are only really now being fully realized because the games now are better rendered than this in the gameplay moments and the cutscenes are even you know better. And the, the cut the cutscenes and the gameplay are becoming, I'm sorry, yeah, the cutscenes and the gameplay are becoming less and less uh, separate and more and more integrated and... Yeah, and I think that's sort of, I think, the future that this saw. Yeah, and I I appreciate this movie for doing that. So we've discussed sort of, I guess, the historical aspects of it. What do you think of the actual film? I don't know. I think I'm more caught up in the computing factors of this movie than I am the story. Sure. Because the story's, I don't know, B-garbage. Earlier, I compared it to The Matrix 2, and I think that it's that generic anime story of technology versus nature versus spirits. There's sort of a lot of hand wavy thought processes and it's, it's more of a mood piece than it is really a story. Yeah. And I think there's a big surreal aspect to this. Sure. But honestly, like the art of it is so just weird that it makes it better. I think it set out to do something and it achieved it, which is something that we can't really say for a lot of the movies that preceded this in the video game realm. I don't know. I think I kind of enjoyed this. How do you feel about it? This movie to me is mostly a curiosity. It does show sort of a, a really good snapshot of where the technology was, you know, in computer filmmaking at this point in time, because this really was cutting edge. But it, it's also interesting that the storytelling of it does, as much as I joked about it, it does feel very video game, at least video game of the time. And you can tell that it's kind of segmented into these chunks of logical storytelling and that it's divided with a framing device, which in this case is like the dream sequences and things like that. I mean, it's better than using a character for the framing device, as we discuss in the next episode. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not faulting it. I'm just saying 
Like you, you can, you can kind of almost see how it was divided on the wall, like in the, in the, the boardroom where they were like, okay, you guys focus on scene 23. You, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's really interesting from that perspective as a movie. I think it really does sort of just become sort of a forgettable, but not bad generic sci-fi fantasy thing. I'm not mad at it, but it, it does fail to gel as a, as an ensemble piece. Everybody feels a little bit like they're in their own room, you know, not like a bad movie, but it's probably also the one I have the least strong opinions about so far. That also puts it pretty much at the top of the heap. <laughs> <laughs> so my biggest problem with this movie are the facial movements. Everything you see a lot of like deliberate, modern you know? mocap and all these other things where they're like, like Gollum, right? Andy Serkis, they mocapped his entire face and, and made that character over top of him. They didn't do that in this, so they made them all by hand. That made the Uncanny Valley like so real. Like you could tell they weren't real because you could tell their mouths weren't moving correctly. Once you see it, you can't unsee it, you know. So like if if that tweaks you, you're not gonna be able to deal with this, you know. Right. There's this weird thing where like the Uncanny Valley doesn't have to do with photorealism because like things can look uncanny but be cartoonish also, you know? Right. And, but it's because of like certain elements being close, but not right. Yeah. It's the eyes. It's the mouth. It's, it's those things. I don't read lips, but I'm like, I watch mouths. I watch eyes. I watch for that, the emotion and things that you're saying in case I can't hear that in spoken word. I do that in bars. I do that everywhere. So watching this movie was, I couldn't understand anything. So I did like turn it up real loud. So of course, you and I record this with pop filters directly covering our mouths. So all we can see is eye movements. We both look like we're constantly swearing. I'm going to answer your question with the question. Uh-oh. Where's the movie that you did better, jerk? <laughs> so up, down, John. I'm going to make you go first. Mm. It's hard, isn't it? I'm going to give it an up just because, like I said, it's, it is interesting. There's, there's nothing really that I strongly disliked other than just sort of some of the hand wavy storytelling and we've seen far worse. So, so I will give it a, a tap it up. Tap it up. Look at that. It's a first for the season. At least I'm also going to give it an up, What? but I have to regretfully like say I've made mistakes in the past. <laughs> I've given movies down because they didn't accurately portray the video game. Mm hmm. And this movie has nothing to do with any video game. It basically is a video game, which is not an adaptation. So I'm breaking rules that I had set forth. So there will be regrets. However, this is still an up. What you're saying, though, is that this is a journey and that we are growing as we experience this journey with the listeners. Yes. I like to think of myself as a growing adult. It's an up. All right, cool. With that, let's see if we can go for three. Oh, man. Could this be our first three upper? <clears throat> All right, John, you didn't ask for these, but I'm going to give them to you. Here are some celebrity endorsements for your podcast. Uh, first up, we have Carol Kane. Hello, everybody. This is Carol Kane, and you're listening to Cinema Slop, the podcast that takes a bunch of bad movies and throws them back in the trash where they belong. With my cockles relatively reassured, the ability of video games to actually tell a story, at least a little bit, you know, let's uh, let's talk to our, our old expert and ask him how he feels about this uh, conversion from whatever the Japanese video system is to NTSC. Uh, beta. I actually just watched a documentary, this is a side point, about Betamax and how popular it was in Japan. Well, it's because they cared about quality. 
they cared about quality and in the early days they specifically made like you know they here they had direct to video movies but they had they had the same thing in Japan but uh because beta was higher quality but the duration was lower they made 60 minute movies and some of them are actually pretty fantastic <laughs> well since one of my biggest complaints about like marvel these days is that i don't have two and a half fucking hours to waste on your shit every time 60 minute movie sounds all right yeah right since marvel's taken all your time up all you have left is 60 minutes for a movie so <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. How do you guys feel about this one? What's your initial thoughts coming off of this? The CGI wonder. I thought it was a good movie, but I don't know that the word adaptation is relevant to this. Totally agree. I kind of feel like this is its own monster. It's its own thing. If you remove Final Fantasy from this would you correlate this with Final Fantasy at all? I mean, I personally don't think I would, but it's you know, but you also did point out that the, the games are all scattershot. There's no real singular story connection. There is not, no. So yeah, I mean, it's like without them labeling everything, I wouldn't associate anything with Final Fantasy. And, you know, compared to everything else we've watched, it definitely stands alone as a unique style. Uh, but I, I did have some issues with some of the logic. It wasn't terrible, but there was just sort of a a, a more ephemeral fantasy sort of just, you got to just ride the wave sort of aspect to the storytelling, you know? yeah. So you weren't completely sold on it. Correct, yeah. Yeah, neither was I. I, I. I remember, there was a big hype for this movie. Do you guys remember that when it came out? Well, I remember the the hype around like the CG production and uh, Jason and I discovered in our research a lot of weird shit with like Maxim Magazine and like... Oh yeah, so uh, Aki is in Maxim Magazine and she's on the cover and I'm like, this is so weird and wrong. Like, I mean, okay, Maxim is like partly there to objectify women but it's weird to objectify a woman who's not real but i'm saying I, I remember like that sort of level of pop culture buzz but i don't remember much about like actual nerds sitting around talking about it i mean this cgi was cutting edge at the time oh yeah yeah it was one of the first fully photorealistic movies yeah it's the first one asterisk not photorealistic kind of pseudo okay so what i was going to talk about was the opening shot where the, it's transparent and it comes from underneath Aki and it's sort mm -hmm. of like the ground ripples. It still looks pretty daggone good. It's not very detailed. Nothing in here is very detailed like it would be today. Yeah, yeah. I'm just using, I'm being the pedantic one and just using the dictionary definition of photorealistic. It's, it looks nice. It looks real nice. It's not photorealistic. It's not for, like, not for today's standards, no. No, it never was photorealistic. It was not like taking a photograph and looking at it. Not, not at all. Did you guys get an Uncanny Valley feeling at all? Uh, for me, it's usually in the eyes and the mouth mm -hmm. for the Uncanny Valley thing. Like, if the eyes are wrong, I'm like, this this is, feels all wrong. And they actually got the mouth movements pretty darn good for the time. I, I'm giving this... I, I don't know about that. Well, it didn't have it didn't have Kung Fu, like, overdubbing mouth. No. No. But they rendered it themselves, like, as video game engineers, right? They they drew the mouth movements. They didn't mo-cap the mouth movements. It. It looked as good as, like, if you watched a cartoon. Right. The lips lined up. That's how it looked. Yeah. I mean, it was it's eye candy for the time. It was a lot of eye candy. I remember people just in the gym back in the day, this would be get a heavy rotation on cable, and people just would stop and watch it like, whoa, what is this I'm seeing? This is like nothing I've ever seen before. If you go back and watch Toy Story, the first one, I love that movie. I think it's great, but it doesn't look that good anymore. It's so funny. We've moved so far from that technology. But it doesn't date as fast because they were only doing plastic, you know? Yeah, they were only doing like plastic things, but it, if you go back and look at it, the animation is still smooth and everything looks great. You know, Woody looks like a floppy doll and he like moves real funny <laughs> and it's cool. But um, 
like the textures aren't as good. It's not as like it's not even as good as like video games nowadays. So it's just kind of funny how far that's moved. So it's nice to see that the the CGI in this wasn't distracting. Well, the the CGI in this was kind of like a low res Last of Us. Yeah, yeah. It still holds up reasonably well, but obviously there's been advancement. You know, there's been advancement. So I I kind of overlooked that. I, I like the voice cast. It's it's just a great voice cast. Period. Oh, I think we gave them pretty high praise saying that's probably the best cast we've seen the only problem is is that for some reason the famous people are so famous that their voices don't match at all with the characters and it's distracting do you mean alec baldwin being a weird version of ben affleck yes (laughs) yes and it, it just didn't you have this like guy who's in his 40s has this voice of like you know he's voicing a 20 year old and it doesn't fit and, you know, Donald Sutherland, he's an old man, but he doesn't look like that old man. I know I know exactly what Donald Sutherland looks like. Well, it's almost the same problem you get when you do like Guardians 2 and they de-age Kurt Russell and they have to make his head fit on top of old man Kurt Russell's head. Yeah. And then like you get this slightly like not Kurt Russell. Like You're like, no, I know what Kurt Russell looked like in 1984. Right. He had much. animated and he wasn't as stiff as he is now because he's, you know, 60 years old. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. His joints worked. That that was more distracting than the actual CGI itself was like right. they what they needed to do was incorporate features into that. Like Steve Buscemi was the biggest one because that guy just looked like a regular dude. And, and I'm sorry, I love Steve Buscemi, but he's not he doesn't look like a regular dude. And it was distracting because I'm like, that voice does not match that person at all. The only person that really fit was Aki. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't even look like that. But yeah, you're right. She's the closest. No, she doesn't look like it. But it matches. It matches. Yeah, you're right. It's the closest. Well, and also, I, I don't know what she looks like naturally, so like I don't have that bias built in. And she looks like Chun-Li. Well, I'm just saying the, the actress, I don't offhand have her image in my brain, you know? Because she was Chun-Li in Street Fighter. No, it's just because I don't know who she is. <laughs> oh, I've seen a lot of movies with her, so I, I, I guess that's kind of burned into my brain, so... Um, I watched a lot of Joy Luck Club, which explains a lot about my childhood. I was watching Designing Women. It's fine. Why is Aki so thin? I mean, I get it. Like, she's supposed to be in tune with the planet... And, like, the planet's in turmoil, so therefore she's sickly because the planet's sickly. But, like, I was watching the movie, and I'm like, she is. She looks like a skeleton with clothes on it. It's weird. We're going to have her be a supermodel because they wanted this whole Maxim tie-in. Uh, but since she's a doctor, they planed her down a little bit. So that skinniness was probably a holdover from the busty supermodel bullshit that they were going to go with. They went too far. Yeah, the they, other way. they went too far, and then they couldn't pull it back enough. So she ended up looking thin. And in this model, that's sickly. And in another model, that's like teenage boys come into this movie because... I guess. It was weird because everybody else looked normal and she looked like a stick. I like Dr. Sid, Donald Sutherland. He's my favorite part of the movie. He does the best voice acting as far as I'm concerned in this movie. I don't know if you talked about that or not. There's some good moments in here. I'm, I mostly was bored through this. That, I don't have a whole lot of notes because I was bored through this and I've seen it before. And uh, I do like the soldiers and the scientists having discussion in jail about the phantoms. That's a nice moment. The phantoms feel too uh, ethereal. Um, like they feel unstoppable in all the wrong ways. Even in Ghostbusters, like the ghosts feel tangible and containable. Why does a gun work? Sometimes I should feel overwhelmed and scared for the characters, but I don't. I don't because I don't understand the stakes. The threat was sort of poorly defined. And yes. it was the logic of the movie that when I when I said I had issues with it, it was mostly around the explanation of what the phantoms actually were, how they were actually, <laughs> you know, doing what they're doing. Like I so I think there was just storytelling issues around 
that aspect of the story. Which is bizarre because this is a company that's known for storytelling. Right. I mean, it's it's not like, oh, let's have the people who made Castlevania make a movie, you know, because it's just he goes around it's a guy and he hunts vampires and he whips monsters with a whip. And let's let's have them make a this is a company specifically known for its storytelling. And it's just and they were heavily involved. I have a feeling that maybe the the fact that it was such a CGI intensive process and they were so focused on the grandeur of it, maybe they just forgot, you know, like they got distracted by other priorities. Or there are story parts in there that got cut from a storyboarding perspective because of render time. I bet James Woods is in this movie and I like James Woods, but as an actor, but I just got nothing. I got nothing. He's a terrible villain. He's a terrible villain. It's a terrible ending. It's so dull. I had about 40 minutes left and I was like, just end, just end already. I just, I, I did not have fun with this. Let's get this over with then. Since, uh, <laughs> you're not a fan of this. Is this a good ap- adaptation? We, Jason, you hit it up top and I agree. No, it's not. What, I, what is this? We've got generic space Marines an unknown force, blah, 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 blah. I get it. It's some form of spiritism versus science or technology versus nature, which is very Final Fantasy. That's very that's very in the theme of what a Final Fantasy game might be. But whatever, who cares? There's no like like John said, we have no outline of what the threat is. We really don't understand the characters very well. It just there's nothing that there's nothing to hold on to. If you take uh, Final Fantasy off of it, no one would correlate this with Final Fantasy at all. There's nothing there. One hundred thirty seven million. Mm-hmm. It was the budget. The box office was 85. So as a comparison, Spider-Man Far From Home came out not too long ago. Um, the budget on that was $160 million. This movie back in 2001 cost $137 million. It bankrupted Squaresoft to the point where they had to join with another company called Enix in order to save their company. And that's why they're called Square Enix today, to this day is because of this movie. It's a technical milestone, but like what they should have done. And I try to be nice to this movie because it's a hardcore science fiction movie with themes, mm-hmm. with with great special effects. It's got slow, deliberate pacing, but it's not what anybody wanted from the time. And this is, brings me to my next point and final point, how to fix this friggin' movie. <laughs> so later that month in, 2000, in July of 2001, Final Fantasy X came out for PS2, and it's like the biggest game Ever. It like sold so many systems because it was just like fantastic. It is a classic today. It is absolutely awesome sauce. If you don't watch this movie, go watch the intro to Final Fantasy X. The intro to this movie is fantastic. I don't understand why you don't tie it into at least Final Fantasy X, which comes out later that month, or you adapt the, some of the best of the series, which is six, and that's my personal favorite. Final Fantasy VI is one of the best games ever. Seven, which is also considered one of the best games ever. You have eight, which a lot of people love. Eight is very different and a departure for the series, but it's really good. Or even nine. Nine is so underrated. And then you have ten. Why not just make a CGI version of either six, seven, eight, or nine, or ten? You would make you would print money because all the gamers would go. And those stories are so good and the characters are so fun, the regular movie-going audience would be like, oh, it's a cool, fun, sci-fi adventure film. So in short, you're saying adapt a thing. Adapt something. Make an actual <laughs> adaptation. And it gets back to my point of how much potential this is. When I talked about earlier, this, this series has so much potential. In the early 90s, or the late 90s and the early 2000s, they were looking for the next Star Wars. Fifth Element is good, but it never really took off. The Matrix is good. 
but the sequel so much shows that it doesn't have much to art offer as far as story goes. But the Matrix is like they they let the story get in the way of the story. Like they thought, oh, let's go deeper instead of yeah. carrying forward. You know, the forward momentum is basically dead after the first movie. Exactly. Final Fantasy VII, which brought the mainstream video gamers to RPGs. That's what Final Fantasy Spirits Within could have done. Right. But, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to be. So, I don't know. That's it, guys. Let me ask a, a different question. Yeah, go ahead. If you've read anything about this movie, like, I, I, every time I, we do a movie, I, I end up reading a Wikipedia article for this season because I want to know what their inspiration was or, or what brought them to this movie to begin with. Right. The guys over at Squaresoft were like, why did you spend so much money to animate this movie? And effectively, the answer was, well, just like uh, Walt Disney back in the day with Snow White, they said it just couldn't be done otherwise. We had to do it this way, even though it would cost less to make live action. It would have cost Walt Disney less back in the day to make Snow White live action than it did animate. Do you think they should have went just live action? Oh, that's a good question, Jason. That's a very good question. This is going to sound stupid, but no, I think they made the right call. Because if they if they would have... The budget wouldn't have been as good, and it would have been real generic. If they did seven uh, with this technology, that movie would be considered a classic. Because people who had never even heard what an RPG was, was were playing Final Fantasy VII. Do you know what I mean? So you take that story, and then you, you make it into uh, an animated film using these graphics. Oh, man. Oh, we, we'd have a different conversation. I think the biggest problem with this is not how much money they spent, but what story were they trying to tell? If you make this live action, I think you take out everything interesting about it. Do you think they should have done live action? To some degree, I think they should have. Because as a player of the game, or a player of any game really, I, I don't want to just see another regurgitated game aspect put on screen. Hmm. That's fair. I don't want to see cut screens. I don't want to see this bullshit. I want to see an original story being told in an original way. And yeah, they did that with this, but... At a live action thing, that would have been cool too, because that's something we haven't seen from a Final Fantasy property. That's true. We haven't not once. You're you got a you got a very valid point, but I don't know that I would have gotten my Final Fantasy fix from this movie. I don't think you're ever going to be able to get a Final Fantasy fix from any movie ever created because it's impossible to take an RPG that takes hundreds of hours to complete and condense that into a hour and a half or two hour feature film. Uh, not a film, no series, maybe. Well, yeah, I agree. Not a film. This isn't TV slop. This is cinema slop. So you have to stay stay on TV or on streaming. Well, if they selected their their format of storytelling just to get on our podcast, I say bad move. (laughs) All right. So have you have you given us your final verdict yet? I have not. I've talked a lot. I think you should talk some more, but do it in a way that gives us your final verdict. Nah, man, this is down. This is garbage. This this thing is so boring. (laughs) I had to break it up. You you know how how often that happens? I sat. In the Avengers, not not the Avengers, the Marvel's Avengers. I'm talking about the old British TV show, the one that had um, Uma Thurman and Ray Fiennes back in the day. I sat during that movie, and I didn't even leave that movie. People got up who I was with and left the theater, <laughs> and I sat and watched the whole thing. I had to break this movie up into pieces to watch it. I only have to ever do that with Neil Breen. Oof. This movie sucks, dude. It's a down. It's a definite down. Wow. Uh, I told you he's going to do that. No, no. I mean, I'm kind of relieved because... Well, who would you guys say? Well, we both gave it ups, but they were very, like, slight ups. What? Because this is the, a movie. It's not... I know. It is It is a movie. But, but that's the thing is, I was like, if Mac gives this an up, 
that means that like the universal <laughs> approval will go to a movie that we're given like a C plus to. No, no, <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I can't do that. It's, this is movies are down. I was I was bummed about it then, and I'm bummed about it now. So I'm just saying, I don't regret my up. I I still give this one up, but I am grateful that as a video game, you are you are a little bit ragey. You're you're keeping us level. <laughs> There's another thing to this. So I was on an airplane recently. Humble brag. And I I brought my laptop and I put some movies on it. And I'm sitting there watching Equilibrium. Okay. Nice. A couple sit next to me and they're like, I don't know, probably like early to mid twenties. And they're like, What Christian Bale movie are you watching? I don't think I under, I don't think I know that one. I was like, Oh, it's called Equilibrium. You probably wouldn't know it. It's such an under the radar, really good movie. Kids that were born around that time that it came out wouldn't understand that it existed. This is one of those movies that I think set a precedent for like animation and shit that maybe some younger kids should go and try and watch it. Oh, like just for the historical value, sort of. Yeah. Okay. Also, Equilibrium is not that good, but I believe that your full name is Mac the Shade. I'm sorry. I don't like that movie. (laughs) I don't like the Equilibrium. It's not that good. It's like Fahrenheit uh, 451 if a football player wrote it. I'm joking. There's nothing wrong with football player. My dad was a football it's, player. It's Francois Truffaut, pronounced Frank Truffitt. <laughs> Truffaut, that dude was a hack. I mean, I... Well, I that's a joke. That's, that's, a, that's a joke. If I have to, that's a joke. No, no, that was those were the exact words I used to describe Fellini to my Fellini class professor. Well, uh, Fellini I have thoughts on, but I, I, he's, it's, it's, he's like David Lynch. He's more art than film. Anyway, uh, now that we've gone all the way to Fellini. Wow, we just took a trip. I think it's time to close this fucker out. Are you guys cool with that? Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening to Cinema Slot. Oh, sorry. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> hey, you cut those out last time. Whatever, fuck off. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Cinema Slop. You can visit us on the web at cinemaslop.com for show notes and other garbage. Or if you want to follow us on social media or pitch your Walter Chang's inventory choices to us, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, all under Cinema Slop. The music for this episode was provided by Vandalay. You can find them on the Facebooks at Vandalay Music or vandalaymusic.com. That's V-A-N-D-A-L-A-Y music.com. If you want to listen to buttholes like me talk about stuff, you should listen to Super Movie Bowl. It's very close to Cinema Slop, so you should totally listen to it. And where would they go? At supermovieball.com, Twitter, and supermovieball at Gmail. Testing, testing. And that is the end of our programming day. Beep.